WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. News time right now, 821. You're tuned to WGNS, your good neighbor station, since 1947. And this morning, we're going to be talking about flooding and problems caused by flooding all throughout Middle Tennessee and uh, I guess the entire state of Tennessee. And with us this morning, we have Chrissy Hurley of the National Weather Service. And you are out of the Nashville office? That's right. And then Roger Lindsay, chair of the Tennessee Association of Floodplain Management. That's a big title. It is, yes. <laughs> so I, I guess first off, how big of a problem is flooding in the Middle Tennessee area and uh, Rutherford County specifically? What, what are we seeing? Well, you know, <clears throat> across Tennessee, we're seeing more and more, uh, you know, reports of flooding and, you know, more catastrophic, uh, you know, events where we're getting six to eight inches of rain in one, you know, thunderstorm complex. And that's causing significant issues where we can't handle rainfall rates like that. So I was just telling Roger, we've seen, you know, significant flood events, especially here in Middle Tennessee, almost once every six months. Now, I will say Rutherford County has been fairly lucky as far as not really experiencing those catastrophic flood events. However, I think you've just been lucky and not getting those rainfall amounts too. Now, if you look at a geographic map, I, I think Rutherford County may be slightly higher than Davidson County, um, which I guess may help out in the area of flooding. Well, I think some of it has a lot to do with you've just been real lucky. You haven't gotten those, you know, eight inch bullseye rainfall events. Uh, they've been just west of here or, you know, mostly like Murray County, Davidson County uh, have been where the frequency has happened. But, you know, I think a lot does have to do with, you know, how well the water can, you know, flow downstream and, you know, get out of that area that experiences such high rainfall rates. And there's sometimes there's a, a misconception that it, it's a drainage issue, that maybe the culverts are clogged up or the, or the bridges aren't conveying enough water. But the reality is the magnitude of these events, these six to eight to 10 inch rain events that we've been seeing so frequently, um, the, the, the flood that hit Waverly, upstream of Waverly, you know, an 18 inch rain event in, in uh, 12 hours, is is way more than the, the typical uh, inf municipal infrastructure can support never mind the local cr stream and creek systems river systems it just can't convey that much water and so in waverly there were 600 houses not just flood damaged but swept off their foundations and that's that's a staggering thing to deal with it, it's hard to imagine mm. floods like that and i know the waverly incident that happened fairly recently i mean we're talking about a couple of months ago i believe right uh, yeah. and and seeing the pictures of that as it unfolds on tv uh, going online to watch videos that people posted of it. I mean, it's just, it, it was completely devastating. Yeah, I was actually working that day, that morning, that Saturday morning, coming into the office, and you just 
kind of knew that that something different was about this system and you just saw the thunderstorms training over the same locations and we were getting rainfall rates of three to four inches an hour and no matter where that rain would have fallen whether it's murfreesboro mount juliet downtown nashville we could have potentially seen just as catastrophic damage as what we saw in waverly and when you're looking at the pictures of how all that unfolded and in the short time span that it did there were pictures of people on top of their roofs i mean i mean it i would almost compare it to what it looked like when hurricane katrina hit because we were seeing the same type photos where people were on their roof just hoping the water wouldn't rise any higher yeah when we went out there after the fact it it definitely looked like storm surge storm surge damage where like roger said you know entire houses wiped off their foundations and when you get water that can rise that fast and move that quickly uh, you know catastrophic flooding is going to occur and you know a lot of times people don't have anything to do except to move to higher ground Working for the National Weather Service, do you often find yourself looking back at dates in history of how flooding used to impact the area or how high winds used to be less of a problem or more of a problem? What what are you seeing as far as going back in history looks compared to today? Well, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, since I've been here, I've been here for seven years, but I grew up around here. You know, when you think of flood events, you think of, you know, the the bigger ones, of course, go to 2010, which, you know, impacted a big region, West and Middle Tennessee. But when you're looking at, you know, small, significant flood events, we've definitely had our fair share. It seems like we're getting one every six months around here in Middle Tennessee. Now, as far as, you know, tornadoes and severe weather, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we're getting more information through social media and people being more weather aware, whereas floods, I think it's a lot easier to document the frequency of them. Worldwide, I'm I'm curious, are are there really an increased number of, uh, you know, torrential rains and and whatnot, or or is this, I guess, numbers-wise, is the number about the same when you look across the world? Yeah, you know, we're definitely getting a lot more rainfall here uh, in Middle Tennessee and Tennessee, the state. Uh, you know, around the world, it just depends on what location you know, you're focusing on. But, you know, here locally, you know, our average yearly rainfall has definitely gone up. Uh, it seems like it's averaging each year going up. And Roger, you were going to say something. More, there, huh? yeah, more and more. Uh, and, and NOAA tracks it as billion-dollar uh, disaster events, and, and there are more and more billion-dollar events every year. Now, we've had big big floods in this area in the past. There were big floods on the Mill Creek Basin in Nashville in 1979, and I think one prior to that in 1975. So then we had maybe a 20-year gap where there weren't really a lot of extreme things. May of 2010 kind of redefined the way we've we've looked at those things. We had houses, 10,000 houses in the Nashville area that had either had water in them or were underwater up to the peak of the roof. And and so that was an extreme event that affected 44 counties in the state of Tennessee, all 44 disaster uh, declared counties in the state of Tennessee. So, so we have to look at it all over. Um, we know from the middle Tennessee perspective, these, these eight to 10 inch events are are washing cars off the road. Um, an event back in the spring of this, of, um, the fall of last year, 
uh, flooded some 200 or so houses in the Seven Mile Creek Basin of, of the Nashville area. So those kinds of events have severe ramifications. It puts people out of their homes, uh, puts people in a position of, of having great challenges to try to recover from flood damage. They've got to live somewhere else for six or eight or ten months. Um, the cost of putting a house back together. And then the danger associated with, is that house going to flood again a year from now, the next time we get another severe event? Again with us this morning, Chrissy Hurley of the National Weather Service and Roger Lindsay, chair of the Tennessee Association of Floodplain Management. And both, I guess, are members or part of Flood Ready Tennessee, which is really the organization behind the idea pushing for more preparedness for flooding in Tennessee. Yeah, you know, I think flooding often gets overlooked. You know, when you think of hazardous weather around Tennessee, you're immediately Mm. thinking of tornadoes, right? You know, tornadoes are, you know, one of the you know the the wonders of mother nature they're they're kind of i don't know the sexier version of of weather disasters and people really focus on tornadoes but what people don't realize is that floods are the number two weather-related killer in the state of Tennessee. In fact, last year in our state, we had 29 flood fatalities, way more than tornadoes, which was zero. So that's one of those things where we cannot put the risk of flooding on the back burner. Now, with this increased rainfall in areas like uh, Rutherford County, Davidson County, Wilson County, I, I mean, with this increased rainfall we're seeing, because it does sound like there has been a lot more rain over the past couple of years than in years past. Is there some kind of atmospheric shift with the weather pattern? I mean, are we getting warmer and Florida is getting colder? I mean, what's happening here? No, Florida is not getting colder. But I will tell you that, you know, we know that our temperatures are getting warmer. I mean, that is very well documented around here. It, each decade, it is getting warmer. And on top of that, it seems like a lot more atmospheric moisture is available. And when you combine those two, it sets us up into one of these, you know, you know, one of these, you know, systems where we can get these heavy rainfall events pretty quickly. And so I think that's why we've seen a lot more of those here recently. Now, with flooding comes health risk that I think a lot of people don't really think about when they think about flooding, they just think about the higher waters, things washing Mm -hmm. away. But there are health risks as well that when you combine that with the loss of property, it, it does cost millions. In fact, probably billions over a a few years even. Um, But what are some of the health risks that are associated with increased flooding? Typically in a municipal sewer system, the sewer that the sewer lines run down the creeks, they everything flows by gravity. Uh, And as water rises out of those creeks, it floods these sewer systems. And so you get sewage releases into this flood water. So I've seen, obviously, people are wading away from their flooded homes, uh, and they're wading in contaminated water. And I've seen videos of people actually swimming in this water. Um, And that's just horrendously uh, a a bad, bad, bad idea because it is contaminated with with sewage and and water that's coming out of the sewer system and into that flood water. And then I would imagine if you have a home that was flooded and insurance comes in and says, well, here's the cost to repair this home and you make all these repairs, Mm -hmm. 
I don't think personally I would be comfortable continuing to live there because I would think mold would be an issue from then on out. Well, not only that, think about if it floods once, it can flood again. And so that's one of those things where, you know, I think mental health is really impacted because once you've experienced that disaster, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. Now, right across the street from our back window here in the studio is an area called the Bottoms of Rutherford County, and it's it's an area that used to be known historically for flooding and flood problems. And there's a creek that goes between South Church over to Cannonsburg Pioneer Village that the city is about to daylight because for years, since the 50s, they put it underground in culverts mm-hmm. in order to prevent the flooding from continuing to happen and it seems to have worked Um, but soon they're going to daylight that town creek and i'm curious if there will be flooding issues again in downtown murfreesboro or if when they daylight the creek they'll make it wide enough so that they're prepared ahead of time for flooding there's a lot of effort being made to correct uh, improvements quote improvements that were done decades ago that we now know uh, served to, to, to detrimentally affect the, the natural drainage courses. It's important to leave those creeks natural and leave them open, leave them meandering. Um, there was a lot of work done in West Tennessee uh, 50 years ago to channelize a lot of the rivers, and that was that was a, a, a terrible idea. It, it totally destroys the water quality of those creeks. It, it, it renders the creeks much less able to, to handle the volume of flood water that wants to flood. We have a saying in our industry that floodplains flood. <laughs> and so when, when a, a developer says, you know, you're, you're depriving me of the right to develop my property, our philosophy is that what we're doing is protecting what we call the subsequent victims, the people that move to town, they buy a nice house that backs up to a creek, a lovely creek, and then six months later it rains eight inches, the water's lapping, this filled their crawl space or is lapping at their front door, and those are the victims, the true victims um, of development in floodplains. And it's, it's uh, every municipality uh, you know, has a charge to regulate their floodplain development in a way that co- that allows those those subsequent victims to to avoid that ultimately to be protected, uh, the the protection of life and property. It's such a critical component. And here in Murfreesboro, I believe there are federal dollars going into that project of daylighting Town Creek, uh, and there's going to be a park built along each side of it, which makes sense, you know, for. If there is flooding, you don't have buildings built directly next to where the creek or the river is. But it sounds like projects like that are going to be taking place all across the country and have been taking place recently. Absolutely, and and it's important. It's, it's important to protect those floodplains, to restore those floodplains. There are a lot of communities that are trying to remove repetitive loss uh, properties to, 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 to purchase flood-prone houses and, and to take them down, restore the creek banks to its natural basis. And then part of what is the, the focus of the new Flood Ready Tennessee Coalition, uh, the passage, there's a couple of bills uh, that are presently going through the House and the Senate in the Tennessee State House uh, that will provide for better flood resilience and, and pro- provide for community preparedness. Uh, it's going to create a task force that will create a, a, a plan across the, the state of Tennessee that will, will encourage flood resilience and, and preparedness. Um, it will create a funding mechanism to, to help some of these um, 
smaller communities that are lesser able uh, to be able to fund some of these improvements to provide some funds to help them match some of the federal grants. Uh, it, when, when FEMA is prepared to make a 75% grant, it's a tragedy that a community says, well, we can't even make the 25% match to that. And this, this new legislation would provide a funding mechanism to help some of the, the smaller communities um, remove some of these structures and to, to improve their flood resilience and, and to, to mitigate from damage that perhaps has already occurred. Now, according to a 2020 TASSER report, it, it looks like they found that on average $243 million in flood-related damage every single year. And if that TASSER report was released in 2020, that tells me that, what, Flood Ready Tennessee or other organizations were pushing for uh, more flood preparedness two years ago as well? It, it is. I mean, it's been an ongoing... I know that, that um, within the, the, mo- the movement for the Flood Ready Tennessee Coalition um, has come about over the last several years, a lot of work that, that uh, originated through the Pew Charitable Trust. They have a, a significant component to their, uh, their uh, business that... that um, that, that focuses on creating flood-ready communities and helping communities uh, take great steps to, to prevent future flood losses. Obviously, if, if we in Tennessee are, are seeing as much as $243 million in annual damages, um, it's because there are, are properties that are at risk. There are some 400,000 properties that are at severe risk in, across the state of Tennessee. Um, and so it's it's a... It's a, a, it's a project that has a lot of, of work to do over the coming years. Now, one of the key items in Governor Bill Lee's State of the State address to the legislative body at the beginning of this year was him talking about moving, relocating, I forgot the number of schools, but a number of schools that are in Tennessee and are in real danger flood zones you know where where it does actually flood not every 100 years but it sounded like every couple of years yeah you know when you looked at waverly and how it flooded two schools there you know i'm just thankful that it happened on a saturday morning i could not imagine if that type of flooding with that wall of water moving you know four six eight feet up in a span of you know less than 10 minutes in in school being in session and so i think that's one of the the big things is that you know these schools that are in these flood zones that is a high risk danger yeah here in rutherford county we've got stones river which travels you know through murfreesboro smyrna laverne and in smyrna it actually goes into percy priest lake which is a man-made lake by the tva i i forgot what year it was that was made maybe in the 50s Um, but then on the other side of Percy Priest Lake Stones River continues after the dam and goes through Nashville I'm sure eventually going into Cumberland River but you have a lot of water from different counties in Middle Tennessee all almost directed towards Nashville and and the additional unfortunate component of that is the Stones River does uh, intersect with the Cumberland River there is a major water treatment pl- plant located right at the confluence of the of the uh, Stones River and the Cumberland River, and and uh, that that plant has flooded um, significantly a couple of times. 
um, over the last you know number of decades. Certainly, it, it flooded s- severely in 2010, and so we, we often build water treatment plants in in areas like that. It, it makes sense because one, you've got to have a water source. You pump water out of the Cumberland River to to provide that treatment. Um, from the perspective of public schools, as you described, we often look as there's so much growth going on. We need we need to build a new a new elementary school or a new middle school or a new high school, and the open space around the community often is in areas that's not otherwise suited toward the development of a new subdivision. So let's we need 20 or 30 acres to build this new school. Let's put it in this nice open space. And unfortunately, it's adjacent to or in a floodplain. And so we end up, as Governor Lee uh, uh, very appropriately focused on, there there are 14 or 15, 16 schools, I think, yeah. that, that are in floodplains and that have have a history of flooding and those schools need to be removed they need to be they need to be relocated to to higher safer ground and um, and then those existing facilities need to be need to be the, the buffers of those creeks and those floodplains need to be restored so that they do indeed uh, store water in a, in a high water uh, situation I guess really to correct some of the problems throughout Tennessee with the flooding you would almost need to go back in time and, and rework the entire city whatever city it may be that has the biggest flooding issue because you would have to prepare infrastructure a certain way you would have to prepare the idea of we're going to put neighborhoods here not here we're going to put i mean there's just a lot of unraveling that has to be done in a lot of cities in order to properly mitigate the problem of flooding that that's true and and most cities began to regulate development in floodplains in the late 70s, early 80s. That's when the earliest of the flood maps began to be prepared and released by FEMA, which which established the first regulation toward how we build uh, in close proximity or in floodplains. It's, it's not totally inappropriate to build in a floodplain as long as you elevate that house to a high enough level to provide flood protection. But uh, once those maps began to be developed and, and were used for regulation by the communities of, of Tennessee and, and across the, the country, uh, it, it established uh, much more well-defined regulations that dictate how we do that development. And so many houses, hundreds of houses, thousands of houses, tens of thousands of houses that were built prior to those flood maps were built without regard to the floodplain. And those are the ones that are, are repetitive loss properties, the ones that flood over and over again. I think the Murfreesboro, Rutherford County area, as far as development goes, I think planners have done a real good job because you don't hear a lot about serious flooding problems. You will hear about problems with flooding in you know, some of the rural areas of Christiana, Tennessee, and, and places like that. But again, they're usually homes that are right next to a creek or right next to a river in rutherford county but overall we haven't seen a whole lot of problems like waverly has seen like downtown nashville saw in 2010 we we haven't seen that here thankfully right you know most of the reports that we get from rutherford county are around the rockville area christiana out there and then up towards sulfur springs road north murfreesboro it seems like that area that road always floods when we get even you know three four inches of rain 
So there are some problem areas and know that, you know, the city is expanding out. And so, you know, as you develop and as you continue to grow as a city, you know, those areas are just going to continue to be a problem. So, uh, you know, that's one of those things to think about. But when you look at the big picture and you look at these rainfall events, man, you know, Rutherford County has been really, really lucky and not getting the heaviest bullseye of rainfall. And I don't care where you are, if you get 20 inches of rain in one weather event, like Waverly, Tennessee, McEwen, Tennessee got, you're going to experience some type of flooding because nowhere can handle that much water in that short of time. Now, the fascinating thing about the Rockville area, there are so many caves in Rockville, which often equals underground water, underground rivers and streams. And those have been confirmed in a lot of areas of Rockville. What happens when because a lot of those streams that are underground, they come from other areas, you know, other cities, nearby counties. What happens when those overfill and you also have torrential <laughs> rainfall at the same time? It's not uncommon for, uh, and we would, re we would refer to those in the development community as being sinkholes uh, because there is connectivity as caves. But a sinkhole, may water may go into the ground upstream. It may come out of the ground water rising out of a sinkhole downstream and uh, most communities map in the flood mapping map those sinkholes as floodplain so we try to regulate that we know that i mean there are always houses that back up to a sinkhole and those those houses they report seeing that water rise of those sinkholes so it can be it can cause flood damage just like you know a creek coming out of its banks Again, we're talking about flooding in the Middle Tennessee area and Rutherford County, and we're talking about Flood Ready Tennessee, which we'll learn more about when we come back from this break. And if you have any questions, you can text those to us, 615-893-1450. Again, 615-893-1450. Our guest today, Chrissy Hurley of the National Weather Service and Roger Lindsay, Chair of the Tennessee Association of Floodplain Management. We'll be right back right after this short break. Again, the time, 847. As cold and flu season approaches, one of the best things that you can do to give somebody who is sick is a quart of Demas's chicken and rice soup. This is Peter Demas with Demas Family of Restaurants. This soup is my grandmother's recipe, and we have used this soup in order to help our family whenever we are sick. Just gives us a good comfort feeling. One of the things that you can also do is you can now ship that soup anywhere across the United States, and you can order that soup online at demasfamilykitchen.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. We're talking with Glenn King, and you're a World War II veteran. During World War II, it was different than any of the other wars that we've had since. The youth of America couldn't wait until they're old enough to enlist in the armed forces, and the war was coming to an end. 
and I dropped out of high school and joined the Marines. How old were you when you actually enlisted? Barely 17. You also served in Korea as well. The big thing that I remember during the Korean War, I was assigned to a Marine Corps fighter squadron, VMF-144. There were two very important people there that were left over from World War II. They thought there would never be another war, so after the war ended, since they were pilots, they would stay in the reserve and once a month have a lot of fun flying the fighter planes around. They were two baseball players. One was Jerry Coleman, and then the other one was Ted Williams. You got to meet Ted Williams. Yes. What, what was he like? Very personal. You know, he was an officer and I was enlisted, so we didn't get to mingle with each other. Ted Williams was a fighter pilot in World War II. During the Korean War, Ted Williams was the wingman for John Glenn. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs. Online at tireworld.us. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Time right now, 8.50. You're tuned to WGNS, talking about flooding in Rutherford County and throughout the state of Tennessee. And our guest today, Chrissy Hurley of the National Weather Service and Roger Lindsay, chair of the Tennessee Association of Floodplain Management. And one of the questions we got um, before the break, it was, uh, could one of the problems with flooding be because of all the building, I guess new construction, where ground is literally covered everywhere these days with commercial buildings or residential housing that's a, a an excellent point because a lot of people are concerned that the the amount of new development is contributing to that typically a community a, a municipality would have development regulations that require if you if you take an, an undisturbed uh, greenfield site and put a Walmart with all of its attendant you know acres of, of asphalt parking around it, you're going to increase the amount of runoff that comes off that Walmart and that that site, but the uh, the development regulations require you to re- to control the runoff to the point where the the runoff after development is no greater than what the runoff was before development. And so we use various stormwater controls. We use detention ponds to contain that water and slowly release it into the the receiving streams. Uh, more and more communities are using green infrastructure, you know, trying to infiltrate that water back into the ground as opposed to just letting it all run off. So there are there are, are regulatory requirements that that establish how you control new runoff versus what the the pristine site looked like before it was developed. And that's not to say that under a freak rain event, uh, a six one of those six or eight or ten inch rain events is going to cause a lot more runoff. A new subdivision has new roads, new new rooftops, new driveways. All of that's going to contribute to more runoff, and uncontrollable severe rain events are going to are certainly going to to cause more runoff to come into the creek, the creeks and streams, and potentially cause some high water or some flooding scenarios. And of course, just a few years prior, we didn't have a lot of rules in place, codes in place. 
to deal with water runoff and flooding issues. I, I mean, you were saying the 70s is really when things started to be more recognized. But I remember locally, maybe just about 10 years ago, we started hearing about water runoff from parking lots and from streets. I, I mean, that is how recent really the talks got more serious about the issue of water runoff, about flooding, about uh, retention ponds and building <clears throat> retention ponds within new developments of any kind, be it a residential area or a shopping center. Right, that's correct. And another thing, another component of this whole flooding process is that just because you live outside of a mapped floodplain, the mapped floodplain is based on a, ser- a series of standards, that 100-year storm, which is the same as being a 1% chance storm, a 1% of being uh, uh, experienced in any given year. Um, dispense that, that whole notion of a flood only occurring once every 100 years. They can happen on subsequent days. Um, uh, so there, there can be flooding outside of mapped floodway, floodways and floodplains. And, and a lot of times, again, with these severe rain events, you can have surface um, sheet flow, water flowing across the surface of the ground, even though you, you don't live close to a creek. You can still get water in your crawl space, uh, water in your home even, uh, from a severe sheet flow kind of an event. So if you're in any close proximity at all uh, to, to a natural drainage way, if you live close to a creek, um, one of the other serious components of the whole flood um, uh, industry is, is flood insurance. And if your community is in good standing in the National Flood Insurance Program, uh, and there are over 400 communities and counties in the state of Tennessee that are in good standing, then anybody in your community can qualify for flood insurance. You can get flood insurance whether you live in a floodplain or not. That that's sometimes is a, is, a, is a mistaken notion that I don't live in a floodplain, so my insurance agent told me I couldn't get insurance. Well, you need a new, you need a new insurance agent <laughs> because anybody can get, can get flood insurance if your community is in good standing. And, and uh, you would be well served um, if you're close, anywhere close uh, to a floodplain to, to carry some, some flood insurance coverage. And I think there's a misconception that your homeowner's insurance would cover it. It's not going to, not for a flood. Does not. It does not. So you have to have this additional insurance if you, there's the potential that you may experience a flood. And your flood, your insurance agent can write that flood insurance policy. The same, the same agent that writes your homeowner's insurance. You just have to know that your homeowner's insurance does not cover flooding. And we hear a lot of people talk mm. about, well, this area is in a 100-year floodplain, and and then you look at it on a map and you see, you know, the purple line showing, well, it's it could flood here, and this is how far it's going to reach. Um, but that whole 100-year floodplain, it, it it is interesting to look at maps in Tennessee and to see what areas are expected to have that percentage of flooding and what areas are not. But when you do look at that 100-year floodplain on a map, uh, how accurate is that? I mean, because you were saying, you know, that means there's 
there's a one percent chance that it it could flood there and probably will at some point. But how accurate right. are those floodplain drawings? They're, they're more and more accurate uh, as the years go by. The technology for development of flood maps is is better all the time. We use we use laser um, imagery from that's flown at night that that allows us to to have much more accurate a sense of of what the topography looks like around a creek. But it's based on a standard. It's based on you know that that one percent chance storm. And there was a case that I was that I'm familiar with in in the Bellevue area on the western edge of Nashville. The water in that event in 2010 came eight feet above that 100-year flood elevation um, because of an 18-inch the the rain that fell in the Harpeth River Basin, another major basin in the Middle Tennessee area. Uh, an 18-inch rain over a day and a half caused the water to go eight feet above the 100-year flood elevation. So. Uh, so we don't control the amount of rain that falls. Um, we map based on that 1% chance level, but in the event of a freak event, then you, it can come, the water can come higher than that and certainly has in a lot of cases. And, you know, with, with Waverly Flood, where they got over, <clears throat> you know, 20 inches of rain in McEwen and then it, you know, flowed downstream to Waverly, you know, that flood was over a one in thousand year flood and so you know when you have significant events like that it's not going to matter if you're in a hundred year floodplain or you're a block away from the hundred year floodplain you're just outside of it you know you have that risk too when we see these extreme rainfall events hey we only have one minute left but i remember a few years back we heard a lot of talk about the center hill dam which is upstream of nashville and I believe that dam was in major need of repair, and I think it's a work in progress. They're still making repairs to the Center Hill Dam for Center Hill Lake. But there was a big fear of if that dam broke, it would literally flood all of Nashville. Um, has anything been further discussed about that? Great, great progress made on the Center Hill Dam. They've, they've installed a new, a new overflow um, a flood release structure on that. Uh, a project that I looked at that I personally uh, um, uh, toured uh, a couple of years ago. Even bigger than that, Wolf Creek is farther up the Cumberland River. Wolf Creek had a lot of, of seepage problems, and all of that work has been uh, that work's been repaired as well. Wolf Creek would have sent a wall of water down the Cumberland River that would have defied description. Wow. So there's been a lot of work. The Corps of Engineers is responsible for both of those dams, and enormous progress has been made to fix those. Again, we've been talking with Chrissy Hurley uh, of the National Weather Service and Roger Lindsay, chair of the Tennessee Association of Flood plane management this morning and if anybody would like more information they can visit i guess floodreadytn.com and then of course we'll also podcast this show for folks to go back and listen to later uh, thank you for joining us today it's been a pleasure yes thank you for having us time right now nine o'clock you're tuned to wgns murphy's bro stay with us more news more information is coming up and wgns's ron jordan will have all the latest on local news next <laughs>